0: Former U.S. Army paratrooper, historian, and conspiracy analyst Tony Arterburn, joined by top researchers and guests, exploring the depths of our hidden history, expose the crimes and cover-ups that plague our civilization and planet, and patrol the borders of our reality. 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 From the parapolitical. To the paranormal in the psychological war for your body, soul, and mind. Be me a paratruther. All right, folks, welcome to Paratruther, episode number five. I've got a fantastic guest. For you today. Good friend of mine, novelist, commentator, fill in host for David Knight. He's a contributor for MRC TV. He's written for not only Star Trek, uh, but also The Outer Limits. And I, well, he'll get into his bio. I'm not going to do his bio justice, bring him in, but Gardner Goldsmith is here with me. Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you very much, Tony. Uh, it's great to be here. And my chair is against the wall. My chair <laughs> is against the wall. Uh, well, you know, John does have a long mustache, my friend. <laughs> I never figured out what
0: that, you know, this is a this is a Red Dawn reference, and I, I play it in the intro of the Arterburn radio transmission. But when I was a little kid, I always thought, what does that mean? You know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's clearly a, a World War Three scenario with uh, hidden codes in the radio. But, uh, yeah, we I think we're in that time. I I play that, I you know, honestly, uh, for real, I think, the chair is against the wall now, Gardner.
1: Yeah, big time. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it underneath the doorknob because of all those eighty-seven thousand IRS agents they're gonna be hiring. Well, you know that's one way to stop inflation
0: is not having an economy. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the uh, what was that the the commander in Vietnam? He says, you know, we had to destroy the village in
1: order to save it. Oh, I know. It's just you know, and and it just goes to the whole Great Reset mindset of. Yeah, I mean it goes all the way back. You know, I'm working on this book on Karl Marx, and um I'm going through various philosophers and their totalitarian collectivist mindsets. And then I'm I'm gonna be later arguing for even some people who might consider themselves to be small government conservatives, how they too are also collectivists, and it's just a matter of time because they're assuming. That they can take somebody else's money, that it's gonna grow and grow. But I'm I at a certain point I start talking about Plato and how Plato was massively influenced by Pythagoras and Pythagoras's occultic leanings towards ancient Egyptian um uh al- alchemy. Right. And yeah, yeah, you know, and I I'm fascinated by um the the idea that Pythagoras was successful in taking mathematics and showing that there were real things in mathematics that regardless of whether you actually had a circle in front of you, a circle was a circle. And there was so Plato took that and said, Yeah, there are ideal forms of certain things. <laughs> and he said, Well, you know, there's the ideal form of bedness. We can't leave it up to the market. There have to be experts who know the best bed. I'm like, oh man. And essentially it was, you know, you're too stupid to handle things yourself. We're going to do it all. And man can be perfected like alchemy, man can be perfected by the state. And that you know, was one of the, the big be things that, about, yeah.
0: you know, taking, uh, and building a society from the, the viewpoint of a philosopher. And I say that once, you know, because I've read, I've read the Republic. And of course, mm. if you read that, you go, wait a minute, this is like, there's there's the noble, the concept of the noble lie is in there, the myth of the metals, all that stuff. But yeah, I want yeah. to go back to Pythagoras. Have you ever read his tenets? Like what, it, it was like a 10 command, I forget how many commandments there are, but to join his, his cult or whatever, the yeah. Pythagorean cult, one of the like top tenets that you couldn't do was you, you had to abstain from eating beans. Did you, did you ever read that? I I don't remember that. No, I, that's there. so funny. <laughs> like that—that that was the like top top priority in the in the Pythagorean society. But yeah, you know, it's well fun. maybe
1: I, that's why maybe that's why Socrates t- did all his teaching peripatetically. Parap- you know, like right. walking. Because he just ate a lot of beans and nobody wanted to be in an enclosed space with him, you know,
0: kind of what I thought, you know, he just had to move from house to house, you know,
1: nobody wanted him to stay for too long.
0: (laughs) I have no idea where that comes from.
1: And, you know, I always, I always thought it was interesting because to me as, as a free market anarchist, the noble lie is perpetuated still, you know, the whole idea of representative government mathematically, that's impossible. And second of all, if you're going to have a real representative, then it's not going to be a government because you have to voluntarily sign on to a representative and government is not voluntary. Well, see what you just you did know? was Aristotelian logic. Oh you just, yeah. You just well, reverse
0: yeah. engineered, you know, the, the, the fake, uh, the, the facade of, of our society. I saw a meme <laughs> before we went uh, and started recording that mm-hmm. had, um, this dad was teaching his kids about democracies he says, a, uh, uh, I'm going to teach my kids about democracy. So I said, we're going to put it to a vote. And they said, oh, yay. And he says, uh, we're going to vote what pizza and what movie. And they said, oh, even better. And he said, but since I have all the money, you only get to vote on the pizza in the movie I already chose for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's democracy. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> that is so good, man. Oh man, and and you know, I noted uh, in your conversation with Chris um, from two days ago, uh, which was great, by the way. Chris is awesome. Chris Graves really is, is, is so cool. Yeah, um, I I thought it was interesting that you you noted the anniversary, fifty first anniversary of Nixon taking the United States off the so called as standard. he closed the gold window, and I as I told David Knight last year, it was temporary. So yes.
0: he was just pay, playing 4D chess. It's only 51 yeah. years later. <laughs>
1: it's like, He's playing 4D see. chess. <laughs> I just want to know. I, yeah, with this Trump thing, how long do we, do we have to, how long is this 4D chess match? Because it's getting kind of tiresome, you know, this 4D mm-hmm. chess thing. I love how so many people have invested so much into the icon worship, the character worship. Of Donald Trump. I literally heard a woman on Boston radio today saying that Donald Trump is, is a godly, good person who stands for virtue. I'm like, where did you, uh, what dimension weird? Like I worked in Star Trek and, and outer limits. And that sounds more like there's an alternative universe where there's an angelic Trump there. That's not Trump. It's bizarre. what you're imagining.
0: I have no way to really define it. I think about my friend, Billy Ray Valentine and his, you know, his research on Cambridge Analytica and how they had 5000 data points on every American in the 2016 election with Steve Bannon and Mm. run run this mind control again. But you go back to 2016, I was a huge Trump supporter. I was way out front before I, I ran for Congress in 2013, 2014. in in North Texas. So I was like the first candidate that was part of that group to endorse. Everybody was backing either Ted Cruz or somebody else, you know, and it was a big thing to come out for Trump early. And I did, and I wrote columns for him. I was doing everything I could do to support him because I love the America first rhetoric, the nationalism, the bringing the troops home, having a border, not a new world order, all this stuff. So I understand support for him then, but now it's become a worship. And I'm no—I mean, I can't even get on board at any capacity. So it's not like I was a never Trumper who's just still, you know, disgruntled or something. Like I—I I got disgruntled over—I guess like he just got, you know, uh, disappointed so often, and then finally jaded. And 2020 happened, and I just throw up my hands. I'm like, why well, I, I can't support this? But it's like he got stronger. Yeah. With this, like the yeah. mythos of him, it's—it is really, it's next level. Like it's—it's it's mind control.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I mentioned to you, uh, before we uh, went on for the recording, um, I, I I do think that uh, Andrew Napolitano's uh, recent um, YouTube videos on his channel have been very good in taking a more realistic approach to uh, what the Merrick Garland's of the world can do to Donald Trump now. And um, it does seem like uh, the process under which they, they operated to get this stuff from Trump. I, I haven't really, I have no concern about it because, you know, to me, I, I have a, I have a minor concern about it. The, 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 what it shows me, I think is the, again, the machinations and the tactical moves that people will make, perhaps sometimes strategic, uh, maybe a combination, but the tactical moves people will make to knock out opponents. Or, or seeming opponents, and I can't quite go to the next level to to sort of figure out how it's possible that Trump could be fitting into all of this to create a narrative of false, a false style, a false choice, you know, false right. dichotomy between the two. Yeah, um, it, there's got to be some sort of Hegelian di- dialectic going on here, Absolutely. but I can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't. The one thing I know for it.
0: certain is I, the one thing I do know. Is this is a psyop of some kind? I can't. I'm yeah. like you. I can't quite put my finger on it. But this is not organic. No. And and, and the no. reason I say this, and and I'm being again. I'm, I don't hate Trump. I'm not an anti-Trumper. I don't have Trump derangement syndrome. Again, I was a big supporter for years. It's just that he gave everything to the globalists that they wanted. Exactly. I mean, his rhetoric didn't, but his actions did. You know, whether you're talking about the wars didn't end, the troops didn't come home, the border wasn't secure. I mean, go on, you know, 40 percent of all the dollars ever created were created in the last year of his presidency. Yep. You talk about inflation. Yeah. I mean, every warps, all this stuff, everything was given the lockdown. I mean, yeah. And, you know, David Knight talks about this over and over again, but he has to. You got to tell people March 13th, 2020, Friday, Friday the 13th, he signed the executive order, locked the country down. He he did everything they exactly. wanted. I just my question was if he's for real, if the media media already hates you, if you're being persecuted, if your family's being you know hounded, why not just fight them, fight the globalist? Why why g- cave and still be persecuted? That makes there's something in there that I just can't quite grasp, and I think maybe it'll come out or eventually or. You know, again, we're watching this raid and and I can I can have both minds where this has never happened before, this is overreach, this is wrong, this destabilizes the country, it polarizes everything that we are in our political process. I'm not for it. Don't raid his house, you right? Know, um, and also be, I don't want this guy anywhere near the presidency.
1: I mean, I can be yeah. both, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And and again, you know, who knows. It does seem like based on what we what we saw of Donald Trump's behavior, the only positives that I really was able to gather out of Donald Trump's presidency was that he reduced um, corporate taxes, business taxes and uh, some regulations here and there. And he was moving towards allowing for more energy. Uh, more energy drilling, exp- exploration, things like that. But when it came to s- liberties, most liberties, uh, and you know, they're they're all really a part and parcel for liberties. But unfortunately, some of that gets really muddied up because these are corporations that oftentimes he was he was either helping reduce the burdens on these corporations or helping directly by imposing tariffs so that Ohio-based dishwasher manufacturers would be able to, you know, have a relatively better looking product, which backfired, by the way. Reason did a really good piece on that and showed how that backfired. But it's interesting to me because in most of these areas, we saw, as you said, March 13th, 2020, emergency order patently unconstitutional opens the door to all these states and city politicians imposing their lockdowns and all this other nonsense he's got patently massively unconstitutional uh, warp speed operation warp speed with drug manufacturers some of whom are in that revolving door in his administration coming in from eli Lilly and others to join his administration like azar and it, it's just, it blows your mind to say, where, what, where can I actually cite anything, keeping Fauci in, all of those things? Where is there any point where he actually stood up for liberty? And so then you think, OK, well, if he was playing something for these people, something for the, the one world people, what's he going to get out of it? Or do they have something on him? That they're making him do this because if they have something on him and then they're going to send him to prison, then why doesn't he just say something? Why doesn't he come out and say, OK, here's what's really been going on, you know? Um, so it, and if there's something that he's getting to his benefit, I just can't I don't know. Like it does. It seems artificial what is going on with Trump, but I, I can't put my finger on what incentive or you know carrot or stick might be hanging over him and his family. I, I don't know. The one thing I do know is that this isn't real. I mean, there's something to this.
0: There's an act built into it somewhere. Mm. I, I do recognize that his that he's a real person. I don't think I don't think he's a hologram or anything, but i, I do I yes. do think that uh, there's something something artificial in this construct. and that's again, I didn't want to make the episode about Trump, but you know we we got to talk. This is you know, very topical because it, this is unraveling right now. I mean, the headlines yeah. of drudge and, you know, uh, you t- mentioned Napolitano and looking at the possibility of indictments. I mean, you talk about a a shift in our political reality that I don't know th- that we could ever really come back from as far as like trust and instant. Maybe they don't want that. Maybe they want us to have some sort of like maybe they don't want an election in
1: 2024. Well, let's say, you know, let's say they want to inspire some sort of civil war, right? If Trump is part of that, again, you know, I just, I can't figure out what he's getting. or Maybe he doesn't have to get anything. Maybe it's ideological. I don't know. Yeah, I I really don't know. Um, With a lot of these people, it is ideological. Then on the other side, you got Henry Kissinger. Like the dudes, like Methuselah. You know, it's like it's like he's been dug up from the ground and all of a sudden somebody pumps some oxygen into the dude. Now he's saying something true. They're saying something right. Like, well, maybe not a good idea to keep doing this Ukraine stuff. Like maybe the U.S. Yeah. should lay off. Like, where did that come from? Did he just come out of Bizarro World? Are we talking to Bizarro Kissinger? Like, how did that happen? You know, did, his,
0: did all of his meds just wear off? in the And he's been all that Rockefeller medicine.
1: You know, yeah.
0: one thing I missed on my show on Monday, when we talked about this, about Henry Kissinger having like end of life regrets. And like, I mean, think about all the wars he's been a part of and all the, you know, the the Metternich, uh, you know, of Austrian school of re- realpolitik, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. yeah
1: he yeah. was
0: writing books. In this, in the late '60s, before he got picked up on the Nixon campaign, sponsored by the Rockefellers, by the way, one yeah. of his books, Guard, was how to successfully carry out uh, nuclear warfare with with small tactical nuclear weapons as policy. Yeah, I mean that's real. What I mean he was heck? writing about that, and it, yes, I mean you talk about a psychopath uh, using small tactical nuclear weapons, you know, and if you watch the movie Nixon uh mm-hmm. from oliver stone uh, there's this great scene where they're on the potomac and uh anthony hopkins plays nixon and you know he's getting really mad about uh what's going on and and with the north vietnamese not coming to the table and he's like i'll start bombing hanoi you know he's like and if it doesn't work i'll drop the big one you know and henry kissinger the, the who plays him goes we must entertain the possibility you know yeah. and i thought wow that is that's just out there they must fear the madman richard nixon you know, so that's what yeah. he was his his. They called it the mad the madman policy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I that's I just don't understand the the just the soulless character. And, you you know, you hope that any of these people like Henry Kissinger or so on, just on a, on a spiritual Christian level, you hope that anybody, you know, even a person who has done such bad things and had harbored such dark thoughts and pushed such evil things in the past can wake up and ask Christ to forgive him. You know, all things are possible.
0: I mean, it is possible that, you know, his heart could be changed. We look at this as researchers and people that have studied this for a long, long time. And it's hard for us to even believe that as Christians who believe that, you know, through Christ, everything's possible. I mean, we, yeah, you change anybody's heart. So it is, you go from calling the third world useless eaters. And by the way, Klaus Schwab is a, a pupil. Uh, That's right. What you, what you might actually call a Dauphin, you know, the old yes. the, 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 a prince in waiting. Yes. For, yes. For Kissinger. Yeah. And uh, interesting times, man. I, I, this is uh, my show. I titled it. I think what was it Friday? I called it. It's all happening you know it's like an, alex jones says that a lot and uh, one of the podcasts i listen to our big dumb mouth they always play this clip of alex jones in different formats saying that it's all happening it's all happening and i thought it kind of is all happening at once it's hard to cover everything because we I mean, were looking at uh, 87,000 new irs agents you god you got i mean the the dollar is I, I said the dollar a while ago, about six months ago was put into hospice care, you know? Um,
1: yeah, yeah. That's like making a full stated. recovery,
0: but then it just goes downhill. Um, yeah. you got war guard. I mean, I, I gotta get your take on this. Um, it right. seems like we live in, you know, the United States of amnesia or Gore, Gore Vidal Ooh. called it that. Yeah. And I think about, so at the beginning of 1979, Uh, Jimmy Carter put into writing what had been verbally promised by uh, Nixon and Kissinger in 1972 to Mao Zedong. And that was that we support a one China policy that we know we cut off diplomatic relations with the Republic of China. I believe that was Formosa or what became known as Taiwan. So on January 1st, 1979, if my history in my head is correct, um, Jimmy Carter put that into writing. So to open up complete diplomatic relations with the people's Republic of China, the communist Chinese that we were for a one China. So over the years we have not supported Taiwan. I mean, it's kind of been one of those things where don't invade it's good. It's bad for your look. And, but we're not also not, you know, arming and, and there's something with this. Now they've just, I mean, you got Nancy Pelosi flying over there and, if you recall, and I'm sure you remember this, uh, the first diplomatic call that Trump got after he was elected in 2016 was from the president of Taiwan.
1: I didn't know that. Interesting.
0: Yes, and uh, the media went into a out, They were outraged, and so was the so were the ruling class. They said, "You're not supposed to take that phone call from the president of Taiwan. That that we we don't recognize that." So what well, has changed? What is going on here? Are, are they? Well, really, you know, the, are we trying to get into a two-front world war with these people?
1: Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, um, that general point is the key um, to, to devote most of, of, of my thoughts. Um, but uh, just on that matter of Taiwan, uh, that particular barb in this uh, giant bramble, that is, you know, we're being forced to run through it naked. This is not pleasant, you know. Um, but I, I I do think that uh, the Taiwan thing is fascinating, especially coming uh, as a guy who grew up as his father. You know, my father was a big anti-communist and stuff. And he would talk about Chiang uh, Kai-shek and, and uh, Formosa and, and uh, the flight uh, heading to Taiwan and so on. And the original concept was there was one China and that was on Taiwan. And the communist China was not China. That was the original one China concept. And then, as you say, in the 70s, it changed and it changed based on U.S. policy and rhetoric. And it became, well, yeah, there's one China. Taiwan is a breakaway sort of republic of China, but the Chinese communists can't take it over with military force. But it's still part of China. It's like, well, look, if you're assuming that it's part of China, the Chinese government can do whatever the hell they want to it, right? And there's you, you already are 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 seeding the fact that you're not going to stop it. It's either part of China or it's not part of China. And if it's not part of China, then you've got some international agreement to defend it, which is, you know, going to be leading to insanity. Um, and that was always this weird sort of like Sybil multiple personality thing. Like, well, it's sort of this, but sort of that, I guess it can identify, we can identify Taiwan as China and <laughs> you know, it's like, what pronoun does Taiwan want to use? Well, you know what I mean? I mean, it's geez. So, and in the larger schema of it, I just can't, cannot figure out what, you know, Pelosi going there and her son's business connections and her husband's business connections and all that stuff. That only seems to be part of it. And I just don't know. It's like you say, it's like they really want to push some sort of military confrontation with both Russia and China. At the same time, That you got maniacs and you and you and Chris talked about this the other day on your show, Tony. You got maniacs like Lindsey Graham and Blumenthal calling for more sanctions against us that, of course, they're calling sanctions against Russia. You know, these these great military heroes, Blumenthal and 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 Lindsey Graham, you know, standing up in defense of the Ukrainians, you know putting on their grease paint, like they're going to go stinking, you know, hang out somewhere and snipe somebody. It's like, come off at you guys. Um, so yeah, I I, I just Orwell don't know. I mean, didn't Orwell have something about the, the
0: streamlined men who think and yeah. slogan and talking bullets.
1: Yeah. That's perfectly stated. Yeah. Boy, he, he said it really well. I, to me on the ground, What it signifies to me is regardless of how they're going to do it, they have a lot of chess pieces on their uh, Illuminati chessboard, you know, and I think number six, the prisoner would understand that little chessboard. Right. And they have so many of these pawns set up that they can make so many moves and they can always fund through central banking, any of these people. And and as you brought up, as Tony has brought up, as I brought up, uh, we've reached a point where corporations no longer care whether they serve the customers anymore. Right. They want to be the first people attached to the government money handout trough, just like the state governors want. They want to get that money. They they don't care. They're going to be the people attached to the fascist corporate collectivist states. So we'll have welfareism for both Um, you know, the the so-called whatever collectivist group you want in the the class envy minority set. And then at the same time, you'll have corporate welfare and military welfare and uh, so-called federalist welfare, which is really centralized. So um, I I just don't know how they're going to be doing this. But what it tells me is, hey, man, they've got so many chess pieces, You better start getting everything you've got lined up. And, you know, we often have conversations that go towards this, which is, well, we can't answer where it's going to go right now, but we know it's bad and we have to get prepared. And that tends to be, you know, hopefully it doesn't sound like a broken record, but all of these things are extremely alarming. And I I, I just don't know, you know, if Republicans, this is, this is one thing I, I wish people would understand. And I had this conversation with my friend Lisa last night for about between the major elections. You get about a two and a half year stretch where the disenfranchised conservative slash libertarian style Republicans are so fed up with the Republican Party that they'll say, I don't want everything to do with them. I'm going to switch over. I'm going to go local. I'm going to get away from all this stuff. But then the election comes along. And there they go. They're right back. You know, it's like battered, battered spouse syndrome It's like, oh, I've been hit so much. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Oh, yeah. You know, but I got to go back home because the dog or whatever, you know, it's like, take the dog with you. Go to the woods. So
0: it's almost like you have to divorce the idea of you actually getting good policy. Yeah. by voting them in. But you realize that if you vote them in at least. It stops the well, gives the appearance of stopping the policy of the people that are currently ruining your life. So it's not, it's not something to get really mad or you know get get, uh, motivated about. Yeah. Oh, the Republicans won, and you go. "Mm." I think Lauren Boebert put out something yesterday. She's like, "Well, when the Republicans get in, don't worry; those eighty-seven thousand IRS agents won't have a job." And I'm thinking, really, Uh you're really. I've never seen you guys ever roll anything back.
1: Yeah, no way. You know Robert Higgs, uh probably his most famous book, he's an e- economist, economic historian. Uh he's great. He left the United States years ago. He went to Mexico, I think. And he comes back sometimes to give speeches at the Mises Institute. And uh and he said the state is too evil to tolerate. He's a free market anarchist, voluntarist and uh you know goes with some of the ancient traditions you might find in Ireland or uh, Viking Age Iceland, that sort of thing. Uh, and um Um, this is the, this is the sort of thing where as, as a person who is opposed to the state on moral grounds, on philosophical grounds, I always feel like I'm sort of hovering outside of it. And, you know, you don't want to feel like you've got some sort of like, you know, greater vision or whatever. But it is always the same thing. It never gets smaller. It always ratchets up. And Higgs talked about it in his book, Crisis and Leviathan. As you know, um, you got Rahm Emanuel, you got Hillary Clinton. They actually vocalized the policy, which has always been the policy, whether it's been overt or it's just something that they follow. Crisis, the government comes in and boom. So you you got Shay's Rebellion, boom, they use it to get rid of the articles of confederation right you know they, they use it for rhetorical purposes to centralize even more and say oh we need to have control of the monetary system it's like no no no. the reason you ran into the problem is because you sold all those war bonds and the states yeah. themselves are not paying them back it's it's the centralization of each of those states that's your problem right there yeah, That's but your did wanna...
0: dialectic it's kind of like yeah In the 90s, you want to get rid of the Patriot Militia Movement. You create Tim McVeigh. Yeah. Oh, precisely. Right. Yeah. You want to get rid of the Nationalist Movement, America First Politics. You want to get people to be afraid to assemble. You have January 6th.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's 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 it. Yeah, that's it. And I don't think, you know, Robert Higgs is, uh, you know, he's his brains are like to the stratosphere. Right. He's very low key. He's very cool. And, um, and he just said, look, there's no going back. So, yeah. And again, you know, I, I try to push that aside because that sort of ends conversations in so many things like, well, we don't know what's going to happen, but we got to get prepared. Okay. Thanks. See you later. You know, like, well, how, could what you? else can you,
0: how, I man, how could you that? really, how could we really know? No, I mean, no, we, we can't, you, you know, not, um, history doesn't repeat it. Rhymes, you know, to quote Wayne, yeah. that is true. It rhymes. Yeah. Um and I'm looking and the only thing we really learn from history is that we don't learn from history. (laughs) That's the, yeah. Right. Something about looking at the past only gives you so much. So I don't, Mm. I don't know that we can really glean a good picture of the future based off of the fact that you have both organic things happening right now. You have a fourth turning Mm -hmm. going on. You Mm -hmm. have cyclical history based off Strauss and Howland. you know, uh, the great David yeah. Knight talks about this all the time. I've read that book based off him talking about it.
1: Yeah. And oh, that's, by the I mean, way, I thought it was really interesting that you brought up the, uh, the Roman, uh, saclara because it, even yeah. they were aware of that sort of thing back then. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is,
0: that's all in that book and it, it talks about cyclical history. And I've often thought of that before, I not in those that well-defined terms mm-hmm. before I, I read the book, yeah. but we're definitely, so history does have cycles. Uh, there is a. In the Bible, talks about seasons. We we recognize this as humans, right? But so yeah. do the elites, and they have sophisticated think tanks. Now they have artificial intelligence. They're war gaming out the future. I have you know theories about why nine eleven was put into motion to redirect, kind of reroute our historical flow into a different river, into a different yeah. stream. Uh, yeah. I could be yeah. wrong about that. Like like a like a diversion. Based off of where we were supposed to go at the beginning of the 21st century, it's just a theory. I I can't prove it, right? But I look at this. But I and think how, that's a good theory. How, how could we know? So, you know, I'll, when I say get prepared, here's here's what we do know, and that we can go over a few things. One, the the currency, fiat currency, like Voltaire said, paper money always goes to its natural value, back to its natural state, which is zero. Right? it always yeah. goes to zero every fiat currency in the history of man goes to zero so right. we know that the, the domination of the petrodollar the u.s dollar the fiat currency from the federal reserve system is waning um we know that in a life cycle of an empire that when a rival appears on the stage like a china that uh eventually those two have a conflict yeah. Uh, and, it, and it starts with currency wars, trade wars, and then actual wars. This is history teaching us this. However, the the, the mixed bag in all of this, whether you're talking about geopolitics or the currency or mm-hmm. economics, is that, like I said, there's organic, and then there's the manufactured, which is the variable in all of this. We don't know how much manufactured plans are going to be put into motion. Mm-hmm. Does, does that? Does that? I'm talking about like World Economic Forum Agenda 2030. Uh, you know, all of this stuff, the, 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 what did, it, you know, Bill Gates wanted like the Vax ID 2030 thing too. I mean, all these things are culminating in this decade. How much of it is based off of real, you know, history, historical cycles and how much of it is put in emotional, um,
1: you know, artificial? this is a very good thought, Tony, you know, you got me thinking a little bit about, uh, two, two things, essentially. Um, one is, uh, in my experience, uh, you know, I used to participate a lot in New Hampshire, especially when the Free State Project got to New Hampshire. Um, I worked with uh, uh, Jason Sorens, who was uh, he was a Dartmouth professor. And now he works at another uh, university, and he the guy who came up with the idea of the Free State Project, and. Um, I was telling David on his show just the other day, uh, you know, about some of the experiences of, uh, uh, Ian Freeman, who's a free stater and he got nailed by the, by the feds for Bitcoin and stuff like that. And, um, uh, there are a lot of different people who get actually active in state politics. And I used to go to the state house to try to do things like decriminalization of marijuana and, uh, decentralization of decision-making for education, things like that. And, um, it was interesting because I finally, I just got fed up with it. I just said, you know, this is I I'm not winning anything here. And, and even in that, I think I'm sentimentally not designed for this. I think I'm more designed for getting out information, for teaching, for learning, for conversing with people about philosophy. And um, and this is the point that I think especially as a guy who's who believes fundamentally in the immorality of the state, um, I say to myself, okay, when I look at these things, I feel slightly distanced because I'm not going to be participating in the choosing of another slave master. Uh, even if the slave master is going to be possibly reducing the number of whippings The problem is that if I vote for someone for office, will the burden, am I tacitly accepting the idea that that person is justified in getting money that is forcibly taken from someone? And so I can't make that moral, I can't make a utilitarian decision to say, yes, it would be better to have that person in because he might reduce the size of the state but at the same time, say, yes, uh, no, uh, I, I don't support forcing someone to pay for the state. So the only times that I, I voted in the past few years have been uh, if there are ballot questions locally on spending, I always vote no. I vote no, which is, you know, I, I say that allows me to say I'm not accepting your your ethical or moral argument that it's okay to take somebody's money just because they live within proximity of you, because you can always expand that proximity and come up with another rationale. And you are assuming for someone else, why they're there, you're assuming their acquiescence and their acceptance, which is immoral. The other part of it is of course on a, on a religious standpoint and on an economic standpoint, the two mesh, because in order to come to understand God, you have to have free will. And in a, in a similar way, in order to um, you know save your soul, you have to do it yourself. You can't be forced to do this. And in the marketplace, in order to show value of something, the market requires that individuals not be forced to buy something or subsidize something or something like that. They have to be free to choose or not choose. And that's how we show value. That's how price points are made. That's how suppliers make their decisions. That's where people enter markets when they see that there's profitability. And that's how eventually competition brings prices lower and we all do better. It's a very simple syllogism. But when I look at um, things like uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the voting process and I see people making these decisions about, well, we have to do this, we have to do that. Then I think to myself, how have some of these people who have large agendas, how have they have they been influencing things? And that makes me think about my experiences as a writer, because there have been times I think I'm going to mention to you, I wrote a story a number of years ago about a pandemic. I think I might have even like read. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just called it the phenomenon. Right. As as you know, and it was in a book called Chiral Mad 2. Um, and uh basically it was it was a play on isolation and loneliness, and the idea was that something the government was hiding the fact that there was something there was some sort of pandemic out there that was forcing people to have to stay, and I even put it in the in the story, six feet away from each other, they had to wear colored armbands and all this stuff, right? Now having worked at star Trek and worked at outer limits, I know a lot of other writers and we weren't privy to any sort of like great knowledge that was given to us by the CIA. Right. We weren't, uh, who's the dude who was on, uh, X files and the lone gunman who ended up uh, on Alex Jones. And he was describing how that lone gunman episode that was on oh, like I, six months. I know who you're talking about. I can't, yeah, 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 guy. yeah. Uh, and, and he's very cool that that guy anyway. Um, um, you know, we weren't having CIA guys come in and like talk to us in the writer's room and say, hey, you know, it'd be a really good idea is if you did this, you know, <laughs> but I just was thinking about what government would do if they wanted to keep people off the streets, if they wanted to play favorites with businesses, what would they do? Now, if you take me and you put me in their circles with central banking money and Deep state ties, you could actually start this experiment, which brings us to Sri Lanka, which brings us to um, uh, uh, um, uh, the Dutch. They're, you know, the same kind of mindset that I might have gone through working on a story at Star Trek or The Outer Limits or something like that, or, you know, just uh, on my computer for that short story that I sent in for that book. They've got people who are. Thinking that way. I mean, everybody thinks that way. They'll come, oh, that'd be a great story. You're just hanging out with your friends sometime, listening to rock and roll. Like, dude, that's such a cool idea. I love that. That's awesome. You know, everybody has great ideas. It just depends whether or not you you end up writing a story on it or you go do whatever you whatever else you want to do, you know, playing music or working carpentry or whatever the thing is that you're doing. So I think to myself, okay, if I could think of this stuff, they could think of that stuff and they've got the money. They've got the money and they've got the connections. They've got the people who can kill people. They've got the blackmailers. They've got the brownstoners. They've got all that stuff. They've got the Epsteins. They've got the Maxwells. And they can make it happen. And they can experiment. And this is where I think they're going. I think, I think a lot of this is experimentation to see what, what levers best. And then they're going to go that way. And I think that's what 9-11 was the culmination of and was also a lever. It was both the culmination of the stuff that was started in the 70s with the big new going down to Afghanistan. And as they learned in Afghanistan, they realized, ah, you know what we can do? We can use these guys to do this. And we can start up this whole new paradigm that we've been hoping for. That's our that's our moment. So I think I think they have their long term imaginative plans. And I think that they utilize the results that they get. They study those things and then they've got the money. I just wrote a story. They tested it. And that's what I think is is we're seeing now with the nitrogen shortages, with the fuel shortages, with this extension and this desire for more sanctions against Russia and all that stuff, you know, let me ask you a question, Tony. When, when Ukraine, when the U.S. got involved in Ukraine in late 2013 and overthrew the government there, got involved with Tiani bach and the sloboda party and, and all that stuff. And then that, that in early 2014 saw the um, conversation that we know between Victoria, Victoria Nuland and Jeffrey Pyatt, F the EU, which is what all the, pop media focused on, but the actual real important stuff was them actually discussing the people they were going to put into office in Ukraine. Then you see Hunter Biden put on the board of Burisma, which means that uh, Ukraine, which had been closed to Russia for its energy exports, now was no longer going to be closed to Russia for its energy exports. Then you see Putin have to move in to try to defend Crimea because the, the Ukrainians are going to try to close off Crimea to the Russians. Then you see years of of slaughter of those people in the Donbass, in the Crimean region. Um, Do you think that this confrontation with Russia and the growth of NATO and the agreement that Baker had given and, and which they broke, do you think that's all part of a large plan or do you think they sort of saw the results and said, okay, let's keep going in this direction. And I think we can use it this way. Now, what do you think? It certainly lends uh, credence, uh, to
0: them having all possibilities available. And I think about, uh, something, there was a scene in the movie, 13 days mm-hmm. about the Cuban missile crisis. And, um, the guy that was playing Robert McNamara, uh, secretary of defense at the time, uh, was in this room with all the the naval officers and the admirals, and they were showing where the ships were, and they were going to run the blockade on Cuba. And one of the admirals says, "We're going to fire on that ship, that Soviet ship that crossed the line." We wasn't going to fire at it directly; it was going to st- send it over its its bow, you know, and fire a warning shot. Mm. And uh, McNamara just blew up, and he said, "You know, you have no idea what you're doing." This right here is not a blockade. This is language that that Premier Khrushchev is sending to President Kennedy. This is the language. And what we're caught up in is all the external stuff that's happening, what's it what's hitting the papers, you know, what mm-hmm. we perceive as reality, but really what it is, it's language in my opinion. I think that these are all communicated language between major powers. And we're we're again we're they're on a different level communicating their policy. Uh, uh, the, the media, you're talking about some of the dumbest people in history that are in <laughs> the, the mainstream media. They have to, I mean, cause they, their, their brains are atrophy. They don't have to work. Yeah. I mean, they just get their talking points handed to them. I mean, guys like us, I mean, especially you and David Knight and these guys, you have to work. You have to research. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's art. You got to pour over articles. I mean, If you were just getting your talking points handed, you could, so there's no deep level discussion with the people who have the most resources, but just like you and I hashing this out, that's what I believe. I think that there's language going on, communicating power plays behind Mm -hmm. the scenes with all this stuff. I, I think that we realized that the cold war was coming to an end. I think that they started planning on what enemies they'll have later because we need a boogeyman, you know? Yeah. So they created Al Qaeda. Yeah. Uh, which means the base, the database, right? Right. right. They created that, uh, in the vacuum of the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, as soon as it was over, what's the first thing we did? We had to get over to Babylon. We had to get over yeah. to Baghdad. We had to get over to Iraq. We had to, you know, stop the new Hitler, you know? And it was, I mean, it was immediate guard. It's immediate yeah. that set us on yeah. the paths for, you know, madeline albright saying oh yo we, you know half a million iraqi women and children oh was it worth it for the sanctions yeah it was worth it it was worth it for for us to sanction iraq in a no-fly zone and, and you know oil for food and all this stuff yeah but now that that's come to an end like we literally you know i ask people all the time i'm like i'm a i'm a, I'm a veteran of the global war on terror the guat <laughs> right i'm a i'm a veteran of that i will ask you with all sober seriousness where did it go? Yeah. It just yeah, right here. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it just literally, it's a war of civilizations. It's coming, you know, this is a, you know, they're going to drink the, the giant caliphate. And I'm like, but where, you yeah, know, it it's gone. Right. I mean, it's literally, you don't right. hear that's It's never in the headlines anymore. So I think they were just playing this all along guard. I think that they had no intention of peace. I think they had no intention to really have true diplomatic relations. I'm kind of leaning with what Joel Skousen has been telling David Knight is that, yeah. that our government and the globalists who control it, were building up Russia and China to have world war three so that they could go ahead and have enough damage and get enough people to yield to them so they could have one world government. I'm starting to think that makes sense.
1: I, and you know, Tony, you bring up a couple things. Um, It's interesting, you know, when you have a conversation with somebody every once in a while, somebody will say something that really it it hits you so deeply, it sort of resettles you. And what you just reminded me of are two things. One, um, if one believes in true metaphysical good and true metaphysical evil, evil is very, very smart. And it it can work in infinite ways through through men. Whether the men intentionally know they're involved with the evil or the evil is subtly working these things, there is a mind. There is a mind behind that. And. I think that what you just stated about these again, we'll go to the chessboard idea. Uh, pieces being arranged in this way as Joel has mentioned. I think that is that's that's very astute and it reminds me the other thought that I have on this is it goes back to me to the prisoner television show where uh, number six played by Patrick McGowan is just getting his footing on this island where he's been brought as a former spy for the British mi6. He had resigned, of course, the premise of the show. You never know why he resigned, but he was very angry about something that the spy agency was doing, and he resigns. He's going to go on vacation. They snatch him up, and they put him in this place where all these other world spies are, are located. They're all imprisoned on this island. They're from France. They're from Poland. They're from Germany. They're from Russia. They're Japanese. They're everywhere, right? American. And they all know too much. So they can't be allowed into the public. They know secrets about the deep state and the deep state is not located within a state it's located worldwide. And yeah. And so number six played by McGowan, you never know his name. It's implied that he's actually the same character from his previous hit TV series, danger man, which was, uh, um secret agent man. He uh, played John Drake in that. And um, which I think has something to do with uh dragon, Drake. I don't know. Oh no, uh no, with Drake is it's the bird. Yeah, that's it. But anyway, oh well, you're so, still right. It's Draco of Galaxy, the, no, Drac- Drake of the yeah, yeah, Draco, yeah, Draco the, yeah. the Dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yes. So um, so uh he's you know, he's always trying to find out who number one is the person who executes the commands of number one is number two. And they always have this rotating thing for number two, because number two never does the job, right? So number one's going to get rid of number two and have a new number two come in. And there's always this threat. They're always hanging over number two, like, you don't do it right, man. We're going to get rid of you. But he is part of the cabal, but yet he's being manipulated by the cabal. He's being made to do what he, he, he philosophically agrees with what their plan is and he likes it but if he doesn't do their every one of their tactical decisions right he knows he'll be replaced for somebody else who will get to that long game better so there's a conversation point they're out at the beach number two is facing number six and he says you don't understand old boy you don't understand because number six is talking about all these agents from all over the place you know russia and soviet union so on. he goes well, you know he goes you don't understand When the West and the East realize that when they're facing each other, they're looking in a mirror, then we will know that that is our moment to move. We will have achieved our goals and we will have world domination. And, and it really is interesting. And I don't, what, what's your assessment of Putin? And I know that's a large question. Uh, maybe it's for a, you know more research on a topic or whatever. But first blush, we know he was with the World Economic Forum at least superficially. What do you think about what Putin is doing and where he stands? We know he's a former KGB. He's not, you know, he's he's not a saint. Well, who He'll is? He'll kill.
0: Yeah. How do you get to that level? You're not going to get to that level being,
1: being a saint. No. no. That's not and the case. Yeah, yeah, that's and I have place. to say, his statement before going into Ukraine, his statement about Baker's Agreement, the Donbass, all of that was 100% correct. Even the history going back about Ukraine and Russia. you know, He said things too, but now he's a very rich man, but I know he's lectured
0: some of his oligarchs, which I've always enjoyed hearing some of those tales where he's kind of you know, said do you just want to be the richest man in the graveyard? Like, what are you doing with really? your wealth? Like he's challenged some of the oligarchs, uh, from oh, what wow. I, from what I understand. Um, oh. you know, and I, you know, how much is real, how much is propaganda about Putin? Mm. Um, I mean, he's, he's better than anybody we have at this time. I mean, I hate to say that, but you know, I grew up the uh, same as you, you know, I'm, the the Reagan era and it was mourning in America and we, there, there was an evil empire and uh, you know uh, Reagan's foreign policy was uh, we win they lose we went to Reykjavik with Pat Buchanan and yeah. met Gorbachev and you know Gorbachev uh, balked on on SDI and Reagan slammed his hand down on the table and walked away I mean this was our country. We had a country once. I can't believe it. As you tell kids now, like there was a place called America and we had, you know, yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. but I, how much of this is propaganda? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm open to being wrong. I don't think that Putin is some kind of, you know, savior type figure, but I mean, Pat Buchanan's asked this question before is, is Vladimir Putin the head of Christendom in the world today, knowing that, you know, he is somewhat protecting the Russian Orthodox church. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, they don't have total freedom of speech and all this other stuff, but I mean, you know, we're a bad example of what we're supposed to be a liberal democracy and it looks just like a chamber pot. I mean, it's just total degeneracy and it's not that thing. We don't have free speech or assembly anymore. And all these things that we say that we do, it's just license. We have certain license. If you're a, uh, certain political persuasion Almost like just you know pursue your perversions at your will, do as thou wilt, kind of Alistair Crowley morality at this point. Yeah, um, except yeah. do as thou wilt as long as it's a globalist will. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I don't know, Gardner. I, I, the, Putin um, to me certainly is in the right for this particular conflict. Yeah, um, yeah. I kept yep. thinking, is he really going to invade? I, I wonder what he what intelligence he was picking up that i wonder if 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 it was going to be like all of a sudden we were going to park nato right there
1: like oh, you be, know
0: like oh yeah. like we were going to call it like it was just a matter of time and then we were going to roll in you know here we come with our you know rainbow flag uh, brigades and uh, bio labs and you know uh, helicopter yeah. money and all this other stuff and and then you know and then ukraine could also be a gateway for uh, Middle Eastern uh, refugee immigration, and we could change the demographics there, and all this. I mean, just using weapons of mass immigration on that region, like we have the United States and Europe. I, I, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, so if you're Vladimir Putin and you're looking at the United States, I will say this: uh, I've never heard anything as crazy out of Vladimir Putin's mouth as I've heard out of our leaders, just all the time. Like you, yeah. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, exactly. You know, And I go, how come I can pick up on this? You know, I was 36 years old in the 2016 election. I'm just a combat vet who likes books. But why am I picking up on the fact that she was signaling in the 2016 election that we were willing to have a, a nuclear war
1: with Absolutely. Russia to shoot yep.
0: down their aircraft so we could protect Al Qaeda in
1: Syria? Yeah. yeah. Oh, said. yeah. And yeah. I, I even thought, as they're even as they're making up completely fictitious stories. Of, about And and of course, that that stems from one of the I just want to backtrack real quick, Tony, because one of the things I used to discuss with my students and I was so happy that I did, because I was talking about it before a lot of the Hunter Biden stuff came out was I was trying to explain to them. Uh, I was uh, I would talk about it when I discuss central banking. And I was like, look, you got to understand the reason that Ukraine was overthrown. Was because the Russians started to disconnect from the U.S. dollar out of the 2008 massive money printing and American Recovery Act nonsense, they started to buy gold, and they could see that they weren't gonna they they weren't gonna be buying long term U.S. debt instruments anymore, and that really ticked off the United States. And uh, sorry, I got a kitty cat here; she's at my feet. Um, Yeah, and uh, hi, buddy. And um, so uh, I was like. And, and they do, and of course the United States was playing whatever the Saudis wanted because of the petrodollar. I was like, they're trying to protect the petrodollar. They gotta do what the Saudis want. The Saudis, the Qataris, they don't want competition from Russian energy exports. So of course, Ukraine's gotta get overthrown. Now there seems to be a much more to that now, which we're seeing now with the expansion of NATO. And I can only imagine being in Putin's shoes seeing year after year what's going on in Donbass after 2013-2014, two, uh, seeing what they're doing as NATO is bringing in more weapons, they seem to be, you know, shoring things up, leaning to the idea that Ukraine is going to become part of NATO, which triggers a lot of problems, and of course gives them pretty much carte blanche to do whatever they want in Donbass and take it over, because the Russians are seen as defending it, it's not, It's not going to be depicted as defense, it will be seen as offense, which it was originally when when uh, Putin tried to go in and defend and successfully uh, defended Crimea uh, back in 2014. So you can see how I can imagine if I were in Putin's shoes. Every year, there must have been a number of, you know, every few months, he must have been like, oh, geez, man, I'm going to have to go now. Should I go now? What What do I do? Like, do I wait anymore or do I do it? How long? And, you know, his advisor, like, hey, uh, Vlad, you, really, this is getting bad. You got to do something. So that's I think it, that's extremely worrying to me um, to think about how a person like Hillary Clinton was so readily interested in depicting Russia as you know, some evil aggressor and they'll throw that rhetoric around. No problem. Uh, In the meantime, the United States is funneling weapons all over the place, whether it's into Syria or Ukraine or whatever. They're building bioweapons facilities in Ukraine. You know, they're paying off Nazis. They know they know that tens of thousands of people. They have to know that these people are getting killed. They know that. Yeah,
0: that's evil. That is just it's true, evil. it's true evil. I mean, if, so if you're Vladimir Putin and you're lo- looking at this, this, uh, superpower yeah, that is schizophrenic with the, the, with the, with the weaponry to end life on earth, that's unsettling to say the least. That's what I would look, I would be like, wait, these guys say they're in a war on terror, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're willing to have a nuclear showdown with, with Russia over protecting al-Qaeda. That's what they said. And they so were gonna protect the good rebels, you know, which the rebels yeah. were ISIS and Al Qaeda. And I'm thinking, what, <laughs> what 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 planet did I make? <laughs> That's a, the literally I and and no no talking head picked up on that. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. So so let me ask you this, Antony. Right now we're operating under the idea that and you know this is just one alternative that Putin's actions are straight up for russian interests and they're not part of the globalist scheme right and and yet so if that's the case then the hardship and the um the austerity and the the shortages on energy for europe and the united states and canada then all those things are not planned. And yet they certainly do seem to me to be part of a much larger plan to have a one world money system to control carbon output. So, so this is where I, I come to this. I'm at, I'm on the horns of a dilemma because I say to myself, okay, how much of this is artificial on the part of Putin to make these moves? We were just talking as if it, you know we're speculating it probably isn't you know based on the united states moving and moving and moving and encroaching with nato you know overthrowing ukraine all these types of things putin wasn't happy you know he went in and put those soldiers in crimea to defend crimea was that all part of that larger artifice yes.
0: and the other part of this too was okay let's talk about this on my show yeah are you really at war with russia when you can just go take pictures for vogue and have celebrities fly in and Bono's Bono going you know, to a concert. And, <laughs> I mean, are you really, I mean, how much war are you at? I mean, and this is, and it's not like they are thousands of miles away and they have to project power. They're just right there. They, yeah, you know, they know all of your, they know where all the bodies are buried. They know where all your strategy, they know all of your weapons, they know all of your storehouses, they know everything about you because yeah. they own you. Yet, you still exist so there is something weird about it it's almost like like putin has to put up an enough resistance to not have nato occupy but not too much as to create a worldwide backlash for the violence that's 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 going on
1: i i I think sure yeah i think i think it's possible that the the one worlders might have anticipated you know, the, the, the third possibility is that Putin is a- operating honestly, and that the one worlders, the, the Brzezinski mines, the Kissinger mines, those types of people anticipated that he would do that and knew that they could utilize the hardship that that would bring about to further their Klaus Schwabian, Cotton Schwabian Almost goals. Almost as like a misdirection.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. You so come it's out and just say, hey, by the way, we're canceling civilization. Yeah, I hope, you, I hope you enjoy it. You know, I, yeah, because that's what they're doing. You know, Agenda 2030, the great reset is just, it's the culling of people. It's the, it's the, you know, creative destruction, controlled demolition, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're remaking the earth in their image, this Klaus Schwabian base bathing suit image, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, it, whatever it's going to be. It's going to be weird. Uh, the future is going to be weird, folks. But yeah, that, that's so you can't, you can't just directly say, um, you know, we're doing it. So it's more like, uh, what was it? the prime minister of of Italy was like, well, do you want air conditioning or do you want democracy? What? You know, that's what they were saying Come about, because we're going to have to cut off of uh, certain energy supplies. And you know, like now it's, it's like, uh, nitrogen and all these other things. We, we have to do this for the war effort. We can't get through this from Russia. It's like a perfect scenario for them because they get to kind of deflect um, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, and if all else fails, we'll just get this hot war going off and we'll reach our numbers. You know, it's kind of like Bill Gates says, you know, if we do a really good job with yeah. healthcare and vaccines <laughs> and get that number down 15%, well, if they do a really good job with nuclear weapons and world war three yeah. yeah, you yeah. know, get that number down by 90%. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, I think uh, there's, there's something else to be said too. I was thinking about this as well. Um, uh, the kitty, the kitty is, uh. She's like, as long as I get my fish, it's okay. Whatever world <laughs> we're in, I want my fish.
0: Oh, um, okay. but,
1: yeah. But, um, you know, you think about the hardship that uh, people in World War II experience, people in World War One experience, you know, they're talking about now um, rationing energy in England. In addition to energy rationing energy in Germany, they're talking about rationing energy in England. They're going to get to rationing of food in Canada if, if that moron doesn't you know, uh, Trudeau doesn't stop what he's doing. They're all following the Sri Lankan example. And um, it makes me think about, I was writing a story. I finished that. And again, that hasn't been published. I've got a bunch of stuff. That's, I have two, is it two, three novels and two more novellas that are supposed to all be out. I They're done and they haven't come out because of COVID and stuff. But anyway, I wrote this story about a girl in World War II who uh, during the Blitz, is shipped off in Operation Pied Piper which I always thought was kind of a crazy you know they the, the, the title that they give to their oh we're going to save children from the blitz in london we're going to name it after a german child snatcher like huh. what operation pied piper you really that's the what they called it they literally called it operation pied piper like what who came up with that one in the home office that's insane you know maybe I, it was Bertrand Russell I could
0: think of a, a good an explanation for that right when you've got the type of people who are in government seem yeah. to be kind of child snatchers a lot anyway. oh
1: yeah oh yeah man absolutely and that's that's sort of where my story goes um she's sent off to Bath and there's a question as to you know what's going on in Bath and stuff like that um but I I, I wrote about how she's actually with a guy that She suspects might be working for the British government as a spy. He's a photographer, and he has every piece of food you would want. You know, he's got everything. He's got lemons, oranges, bacon, eggs, and milk, bread, everything. And everybody else is, is you know, rationing their food. You know, Um, and you you see it in 1984. um, You know, they're talking about the chocolate rations and all those things. So that mindset. Because people will will willingly accept all sorts of archers and problems and become accustomed to those things, so they'll get normalcy bias from those things. Then new generations will come up. Um, this idea of well, you've got to sacrifice for the greater good. Um, you know, they'll they have all these different arguments, and now they got the perfect argument. Well, you know, Ukraine war. It's like well, people aren't really buying that, and that's where on a personal level, um, you know, we sort of go back to the beginning. I. I think about how, how much I've learned um, in being able to sort of escape that world of, well, I wanna get this done or that done politically. You know, I've been able to research and teach and my satisfaction comes now in being able to express ideas to people, you know, like learning about the, the um, um, Egyptian occultic uh, basis for a lot of Plato's Republic you know even even the even the 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 base the base metals the greater metals all that stuff it's all alchemical it's that's all herme- alchemical
0: isn't that hermeticism from hermes
1: yeah 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 absolutely absolutely that's it and and it all of that stuff carries through right up until what you, what we're talking about now with klaus schwab they can make the world better with their collectivist centralized plans yeah and of course klaus and, schwab has the bust of lenin yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing picture to see. Yeah. It's amazing. So we're just, we're just base metals to them. Yeah. And the way that they make us better is with their plans. And of course, if they can control the money supply, if they can control people with, uh, you know, with drugs, if they can control, and if they can debase people's morals enough that they get them tied up, you know, um, uh, tied into this, uh, this, uh, idea of welfareism and so on, and, and arguing about, well, I deserve this or I deserve that, um, then the enemy will never really be seen. So I, I think, um, you know, for me, it, it's it's been a really interesting journey in finding people from whom I can learn, you know, and, you know, thanks, thanks, I think, in part to having left Hollywood. Um, and, you know, connecting with people like you, David Knight, um, doing a lot of the readings, uh, Don is just, you know, Don Jeffries is, is an amazing writer and so many other people, um, you look at, um, um, what's his name? Um, uh, um, James Corbett, James Corbett's amazing, you know, uh, so many great people out there Whitney Webb. I can't wait for her new book. Her, she's got a new book coming out. And by the way, folks, there there are a couple other books. I'm looking, I'm trying, I heard of a book. I just want to put this out on your audio. And if people want to contact me, they can do it over on Twitter. It's at Gardner Goldsmith. Yeah. And on Gab, it's at Gardner Goldsmith. But I think there's a new book that's coming out about, and Tony, you might know about it. I heard it on somebody's podcast. It's about the history of U.S. FBI setups.
0: Yeah, and uh In much I, a much needed subject matter,
1: yeah, yeah. I I but I I for the life of me, I think it's coming out because other people have done this sort of thing, but I just don't know. It's, um it should
0: be called shooter, I'll stop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it, that's it. That's awesome. That's exactly the way they do them. So, you know, um, I don't you know. I think about what's going on right now with the way that they're, they're setting things up. And I might, I don't know whether I can change anything by, you know, putting out warnings and and things like that. But the one thing that does satisfy me is if I get to connect with somebody where they say, yeah, you know, I learned something. And in my personal life, that was, that helped me, you know? I mean, that's sort of, I've gotten down to the personal level now. That's pretty much it.
0: I, I am grateful to, to be in the position that I'm in. And, uh, I was talking about this on my show a couple, couple of days ago, just how strange everything is. And like, you just have to be humble in the face of it. Like we, we don't know exactly what's going to happen and you can prognosticate all you want. I think we we try to follow the smartest people we can find. That's the thing about modern culture and media. They go back to the well, to people that are always wrong i, I just have been following people that have have a great track record because that's just where i you know i don't know it's just god's gift to me i kind of gravitated towards that as a uh you know coming out of my last tour out of the military i picked up Pat buchanan's the death of the west and i just said wow i wish i would have seen this earlier i wish i would have thought in, through this lens earlier about you know the the great questions in whether you're talking about politics and civilization um, yeah. that aren't asked in our, you know, our fast food culture and, you know, and the, the, the instant gratification politics and all the, all the, you know, political science that you really don't get. So I mean, it's just, it's just humbling. And and there's so much spiritual a- aspect to this guard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. metaphysical, like we are talking about, how much do the people know that are carrying this out that they're just agents of Satan? like i mean it, it, they have to be because you know it's it's a, a complete evil plan to 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 subvert free will cuz you talked about free will in the show right you have in order to yeah. truly give your heart over to god it has to be done that's why that's free will exists like you have to have that willingness to do that but so if you're not if you don't have free will if you don't have free expression if you don't have the ability to make choices and and self actualize then you really are a tool, right? You're a pawn. You're something less than what you were intended to be. That to me is, is demonic. And that's what, you know, this new society we're doped up, completely surveilled, smart city, uh, austerity, you know, everything, the state is God, Uh, all the things that they're building just completely. It's almost like they hate themselves so much. They want to destroy the future for all people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That seems like, and you know, I think there's, there's a lot to the idea of that they are purely materialist. Um, they don't think that there's anything beyond what we have uh, on this earth. And it amazes me that some seemingly very bright people can't understand that these arguments aren't just about how things are gonna operate now. They're about what decisions are you gonna make about your soul? And, and um, you know, that, I think, I look at fiction writers like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, G.K. Chesterton, and the, and the lasting meaning of their choices, to put this into fiction. I was also thinking, Tony, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, you know, David on his show, uh, one of the bumpers he, ha- he plays has, you know, we are created in, in the image of God. And, uh, I think he plays, uh, the, the common man behind it and, um, and beautiful music that he put together and so on. And, um, and, uh, folks, if you, you know, obviously, you know, that, uh, Tony and I have done fill-ins. Tony's been really, really, uh, just uh, incredibly active, uh, with David Knight and, uh, David's show is a great show uh, on Rockfin, on Odyssey and, um, go to David Knight's Libertarian on Twitter. You can find him there on Rumble, um, but on BitChute as well. Um, but, um, I think it's interesting because if we think about the image of God, I, I, for, for a while, I kept thinking, is there really any use to doing fiction anymore? Guard, like there's so much going on. And I talked to Don about this a little bit, because Don, as you know, Don considers himself, even though Don Jeffries has written these amazing books about history and, you know, rectifying the record, correcting the record on so many different things. He considers himself more of a fiction writer and he gets frustrated. And I do too, because, you know, as you know, I'll spend a Sunday and sometimes I'm writing seven pieces because there's so many stories that are out there that I say to myself, look, if I don't write about this, I know I've got some information here. I got to get this out. You know, somebody can read this. They'll learn from something from this, maybe that they haven't seen or whatever. OK, cool. I'll I'll, I'll keep working, you know. And um, and so that takes away time from doing the fiction. And at a certain point, I mentioned to Don, I said, John, you're going to know the point where you can go back to writing your fiction and it, it you know and i said you know if we were in the revolutionary era and somebody said oh hey um are you gonna go see the play tonight are you gonna go watch that the little quartet the violin quartet like no what are you kidding me i gotta i gotta clean my musket i gotta make more musket balls We're i don't have time for that you know and so the mind goes back and forth you've got family you've got friends you've got laughter that you don't want to squander. You got all these things. You got personal conversations that you should be having with family members and and people you love and um, reading, reading that you should be doing, whatever it might be. Should you even read fiction anymore? Well, there could be lessons in there and it's hard to know these things. So as a writer, I say to myself, okay, I'm glad I'm not in L.A. anymore. As you know, as I mentioned to you, you know, if, if I were still in L.A., I wouldn't have been there when my mom passed away. You know, I wouldn't have been I was holding her hand when she died. I would have been in Los Angeles. Like. Come on, really? You know, so um, then you say to yourself, "Okay, well. Is there a way and this is what I think and and I'm coming to that point now, what I have tried to do with my fiction is I've tried to build a very large mosaic that will attract people who are either agnostic or atheistic. To think that the horror stories are some sort of, you know, Lovecraftian, oh, it's from another dimension, we just don't know, it's, you know, and then in the end, it's going to be more of an exorcist type thing, like behind it all is Satan, there is evil, and there is a God, there is Jesus, he was a person, he was the son of God, creation of God, and God, he was made so that you could relate, you could have a friend in god and he was made physical and he sacrificed and he felt pain and he made a choice so so all these things when you look at what tolkien did and what c.s lewis did and and chesterton especially tolkien i think uh, c.s lewis as well i i can't i can't dispel him those guys were able to take something and leave it for people to say no In your imagination, imagination, you're creating the image. And this is what I realized as like, guard, wait a minute. The purpose of fiction or one, one large purpose of fiction is not just to entertain. It's in the imagining you're creating an image, right? And you, sorry, I got a little fly flying around me. Uh, You. Are doing what God did to create you. And you can now understand the flowering of imagination is allowing you to recognize that there is another source of imagination. There is an image. You are created in the image. So whether it be, and I I might be going a little bit far afield, but whether it be uh, people thinking about Pythagorean theorem, you don't have to have a physical triangle in front of you. You can imagine two plus two. Yes, it's a mathematical concept. Two plus two is four, but you're using your your mind. You are creating an image in your head, and and I I'm I'm sort of still working this through, but I think that this this has a bearing on. Occasionally dipping the toe into fiction again and reminding one, oneself this was written by a person. But you just saw all of that picture that that person created for you. You don't think it's real. It's not real. And yet you saw it. You are an image. You are this, You are created by God. So just like you can create those images in your head, God can do the same thing. I don't know if that I, I'm not sufficiently like grounded in, in the formulation of it, but I'd love to sort of work on that as an essay on the value of fiction for a Christian in it's particular.
0: It's value.
1: I mean, you yeah. Think about
0: the great works. How many of the great works are pure fiction or even narrative fiction of history like Shakespeare? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Dostoevsky. Well, Francis Bacon yeah 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 good point yeah Some, I mean you know the, the works of Plato and supposedly Aristotle did did the same you know, he also had not only his 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 works on the physical and the uh, non-fiction mm. uh, but he supposedly had just like Plato did he had you know uh, plays and other things that yeah. those, those works were lost, and apparently Plato had the opposite as well. But his that that mm-hmm. side of him was lost, and people say, "Well, he had the best." Of, uh, both had their best were kept for history. So it's nice. just, I mean, I think when you can create a message guard that he, it can reach people, yeah, um, that's what matters. You know, it it, it opening the i the idea, um, opening the mind to new possibilities through whatever works, whatever kind of thing. F- I'm not, I don't read a lot of fiction, but I'm not opposed to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, like we were talking off air, you know, I've watched, I've been rewatching some of the old X-Files. Yeah. And I love that. And, and, and the twilight zone and Rod Serling. Yeah. And, you know um, I've told you this before. I think I've said this on air. Um, I remember like 31, 32, you know, I, coming off of, you know, years of combat and, and having some things happen to me in life, I would just come home at night and this is why I was single and I would just um, put on some Twilight Zone mm-hmm. and I'd let it run and repeat. And I would just yeah. know, get in the get in a get the really quiet, you know, and Rod Serling would come out and it would give the monologue and tell you what's going to happen, smoking a cigarette. And I thought I'm comforted with this. And then I realized mm-hmm. reading into it, I was like, wait a minute. Well, Rod Serling was a paratrooper in World War II.
1: Yeah and he, yeah. he's
0: coming at this you know uh, he's writing about his his morality uh and what he you know the the sanctity of life and uh in the right and wrong through these tales yeah and that's why i feel cuz i feel like it's a kindred spirit so uh no yeah. i think i think it's i think it's valuable um all uh, of, yeah all of, anything you can do to what's the the one thing that more powerful than all the armies on the earth is a idea whose time has come you know Victor Hugo.
1: So true and I, um, sorry I'm going after the bug again. Um, uh, the moral lessons that you get from a piece of fiction, I think one of the the tricks is to because this is this is part of the problem. We can be fooled. we can be tricked into emotion versus morals. And um, that's where I think Serling did such a good job. And he was a real lefty, you know, but one wonders where he would have gone if had he lived on um, because he did have such a especially a, that World War Two generation morality, the soldiers experiences, the paratroopers experiences. And as you know, his first jump in World War II, when he landed, his buddy landed next to him. And they dropped the supply crates in the wrong area yeah. as they're gathering their parachutes. He starts to stand up His buddy starts to stand up and the crate comes lops off his buddy's head like a minute after they had hit the ground. I mean, just shocking what he must. And I think, I think he was 18 cause he, he got in early, you know, and he was a boxer and stuff, you know, yeah. he was a tough guy. Um, and I think that, you know, Mr. Serling, um, is a great example of a moralist um and perhaps a moralist from the left-wing side but it, it makes me think and this is this is where i sort of want to go i want to start up a, a youtube channel um people have been asking me if i'm going to do liberty conspiracy videos over on youtube i thought geez, i don't know you know i could get shut down really easily i got uh odyssey and uh BitChute and um rumble right now and that's cool and i've got the uh the substack thing um uh, but I'm like, I don't know, you know, I'd love to go live streaming on YouTube. That'd be awesome. I don't know. But I want to do an entertainment based show because, of course, you know, I know I know script writing. I want to call it former Star Trek fellow. And um, I'd really like to talk about quality stuff. And I think one of the key positives that's come out of how disappointed people have, have been in fantasy and genre and so on is that, you know, they've been disappointed by Star Wars. It's gone woke. They've been disappointed by um um Marvel. It's gone woke, you know, taken over by Disney. Star Trek, I mean Star Trek ridiculously woke, right? So Doctor Who, insanely woke, you know. Um, just you know, and, and it just pulls you out of the suspension of disbelief. And all you see are the board members behind it and and the pressures to do some political message. And the drama's lost, the plots aren't worth anything. It just It's lame, you know, and so as and now they're fighting over Tolkien. Amazon looks like they're going to be taking early stuff that they were able to get the license from Tolkien, not the not the Fellowship of the Rings or the Hobbit or anything like that. But they're taking it and they're putting it in Tolkien's world when it has nothing to do with Tolkien. And um, so what I think could be positive is especially as nerd culture gets older, they have their own kids and so on. Is this disappointment that we're seeing in some of those great things that we love as kids? I mean, I saw Star Wars over and over and over. I listened to it. I, I, I went into a, a, a movie theater and recorded Star Trek the Motion Picture. I recorded Raiders of the Lost Ark on a little cassette player. I used to put the microphone in front of the television set to record different TV shows, Doctor Who, you know, that sort of stuff. What I think I realize is as I get older, those things that I used to think were entertaining me just because they were great plots, that they were you know, really exciting adventure stories or whatever, the value that I see now, I'm seeing because people have been diluting them and corrupting them. And what I'm realizing is that they had value because they had morals. And I think that that's what what you just said about, you know, learning things in fiction and there's value to fiction. The stuff that I think a lot of the nerd culture is starting to realize now is that you can have emotion in some show, but unless it's a unless it's attached to some sort of long term morals, like what Dostoevsky might do, what Aristotle might have written, what Shakespeare wrote, what Bacon put together um you know marlowe christopher marlowe um rod serling they had they had morality plays that's what lasts i don't know if that's uh too much uh moralizing or
0: whatever oh, or, uh, you it's know. great um well we're coming to the part of the show where i had um kind of some rapid fire i wanted to send you and oh you, yeah you uh see if you can sum up your thoughts within like a couple of sentences. Again, this will be a weird way to do it. It may be just mm-hmm. how you define it, how you see it. Um, and this is going to be completely on the fly. Okay. okay. So, yeah. uh, this is the way we'll end the show. And I brother, we're going to have you back. I mean, this, oh, this, this, this is like a three, four, five part <laughs> deal. <laughs> Cause I was going to talk to you about anarcho capitalism and the history. Oh, yeah. of that, And, you know, I was going to talk to you about, uh, future politics and like, populism and some of the things that I've learned. And, um, I'm going to go speak to the young Republicans in Rockwall, Texas. Uh, I got asked to speak. It's funny. I, I ran for Congress there and, and uh, that's yeah. my hometown hometown of Alex Jones too, by the way, I always started oh, not know, yeah. know that, uh, we went yeah. to school. Um, but I'm going to be speaking there. And I thought, well, I had to get old for the young Republicans to, uh, to ask me to speak. <laughs> and I, and and I, I will be good. I won't melt minds. I'm going to be good. Um, I've learned that's a lot. Awesome. I'm not, I'm no, I've been told by politicians you're not political. You know, I've been told this before. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I know a lot about politics, but I, but I don't, you know, obviously don't haven't won office. Uh, don't want to, mm-hmm. if that's the cost of my soul. So I'd rather just do, I love what I'm doing now. So, let's go through this list. Uh, And this is a a list in my mind, by the way, I didn't even write it down. We'll go over things and then we'll end the show. Is that cool? Yeah,
1: that's, that's great, man. And, and by the way, thanks also, you know, you mentioned doing a a separate show, uh, more directed uh, talking about anarcho capitalism and history and stuff like that. The, uh, the Irish and the the Vikings and stuff, and that would be awesome. But I, I want to thank you also for, you know, you enter a conversation with somebody for a show and, you know there's immediate stories that are happening there's stuff that you want to you want to address there are all sorts of stories everything can come at you and it's just so great to have a just a great conversation with you man it's so cool yeah, i appreciate it like
0: and by the way folks this is like how Gard and i talk off air like so <laughs> yeah they, yeah
1: it's like we're gonna have a great
0: conversation and then i'm gonna publish it so planet earth can tune in if they want to <laughs> uh, put, for the record for eternity like future yeah, man. you know ancient or the alien civilizations visiting in the future we'll we'll dig yeah. this up and, and play it uh, <laughs> all right all right so first out of the gate and again, just one or two sentences, just your thoughts, summation, uh, and then we've got about four or five of these, and then we'll, we'll let you go. Okay. 9-11.
1: 9-11. Thoughts on 9-11? Um, when I watched those towers fall, I had no idea what I would learn, and uh, it seems pretty clear to me that uh, those those buildings did not fall because they were hit by jets. And Building 7, I think that pretty much says it all right there. Um, I think that uh, uh, the Bushes were aware of it. I think that uh, David Icke's book, The Trigger. And I think you mentioned The Trigger the other day. Absolutely, yeah. That is the the first half of that, what is it, 900-page book? It's, it's he a, details, it's yeah, yeah. Anybody wants to find out, the discrepancies in the narratives, all those different stories. Read the trigger. I'm telling you, 150 pages in, you'll say, "Oh yeah, there there the, the, the is true evil out there, and um, it has the middle name Cheney." Abraham Lincoln, Abe Lincoln, massive criminal, massive hypocrite. Doesn't matter whether he was trying to start a. a a, 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 a greenback. That was just to facilitate the war effort. It was an inflationary thing itself. Central banking is bad, whether it's done by the government itself or it's done by a monopoly that's granted to a banking cartel. Get money away from government. Abe Lincoln made more money off of the transcontinental railroad by buying land in, uh, Springfield, Illinois and selling it to the federal government than he did in all of his years as a lawyer. He, uh, did not free any slaves, uh, did not care about black people. Uh, wanted them shipped away, uh, was set up Fort Sumter, uh, lied, uh, tried to uh, suspended habeas corpus himself, uh, should have been, under a constitutional level should have immediately been arrested, tried for treason and executed period. I'm smiling now. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah. And by the way, by the way, Tony, I have to mention when I was in fourth grade, I was the tall kid, you know, and I, so I, it was the, it was the, um, the bicentennial. So they had me recite the Gettysburg address. I had to get like a stovepipe hat and put on a fake beard. I might've mentioned this to you. Yeah. And I had to do, I I, I don't know how many stinking times I had to do that stupid Gettysburg address. He, like he cared, like he really cared. Really? Come on. What a jerk. What a scumbag that that dude was. JFK. JFK. uh, I've changed, changed my tune about JFK. You know, growing up North of Massachusetts, the Kennedys were adored there. They could do no wrong. Ted Kennedy was a massive criminal drunk maniac manslaughter You know, don't ever join the Ted Kennedy driving school, folks, unless you know how to swim. Um, And I have stuff about that in my novel, Teamizer, which was supposed to have been out two years ago. Um, But uh, I have to say, I kind of changed my tune a little bit about Ted Kennedy. As much of uh, an anti-government guy as I am, I think that uh, I think Kennedy um, had a lot of good good uh, aspects to his domestic policy, reducing. Um, reducing taxes. Um, I also think that um, Kennedy was set up uh, by the deep state. Um, I don't think Oswald was alone. And I think that um, they knocked him off because he was going to shake up the, the CIA, perhaps. Um, but um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, he had a lot of personal foibles. You can't really say much about his personal life. And that's, that's a real mixed bag to me. Um, but as far as Kennedy and his, some of his policies go, the way that he, he was approaching things with the Soviets seems to me that, uh, he was a victim, one of the big victims of the deep state. And I think that helped perpetuate them, uh, that catapulted Johnson, uh, and, and Nixon and, uh, really helped weave them in, uh, even more strongly. Epstein. Epstein. Wow. Okay. Um, So I, again, I got to mention about three or four years ago, I was approached uh, to do a novella um, and it was going to be for Chiral Mad 4, I believe. Uh, I ended up writing something else uh, and I was going to work with my friend, Gary McMahon, who's a Britisher. Uh, Because I had seen a story about Manchester, England, and how a lot of the homeless people, there are more canals in Manchester, England than there are in Venice, evidently. And you can see this map. There are all these homeless people who were drowning in canals. And I guess the the way the canals are, most of the canals are in Manchester, England, um, they have very steep stone walls that go down in the water. So if you fall in, unless you're a good swimmer and can get to a spot, you're going to drown. And uh, the, the homeless folks and some of the people who were trying to help them out. Um, they were going to the cops. And the cops weren't doing anything. They were getting really angry. The cops were like, ah, oh, it's just, you know, people just falling in their OD and they're like, no, no, somebody is killing people. They called them the pusher. So I have a novel called pusher and it's about a guy who's searching for his daughter he comes down from edinburgh he's a former cop his daughter is a heroin addict and she's gone wandering around from city to city he's finally thinking he's caught up to her in manchester england and so he starts to infiltrate the underground and the homeless people and the prostitutes and the drug addicts and stuff like that looking for his daughter and um and he starts to hear these stories that they're complaining like you know somebody is killing us here, this is not good, and then he uncovers a prostate a basically a child predation ring. And at that time, I was doing and I don't I don't know what to do now. And I, I hate to personalize the Epstein thing, but it triggers my thoughts because I really don't know what to do. Because in the book, before the Epstein stuff, all the revelations came out, I knew about this. I was watching Sean Atwood's videos, I was doing deep research into this stuff. I already knew about Epstein, I knew about Epstein Island. And I knew about Prince Andrew. So I have scenes where people walk into this, this like golf course place, this estate and on the wall are pictures of people like Woody Allen, Prince Andrew, stuff like that, that, you know, obviously I put those in there. Now, if people see them, it'll be so obvious that I don't know if maybe I should change them. You know, I don't know what to do. So I'm thinking maybe like given, you know, how Prince Andrew, he has some other title, like the Duke of debauchery, you know, whatever his other title is, you know, I was thinking maybe I'll put that up there. I don't know. Epstein, um, Epstein was killed. Clearly Epstein was killed. Um, and, uh, um, Maxwell, they discovered her a couple towns away from me in New Hampshire. Um, she was totally let off the hook. Um, I think the Clintons are massively implicated. Uh, Maxwell's father was a Mossad agent. He was knocked off. Uh, I think a lot of the things that have been going on were controlled by people who have knowledge of a lot of these people who were set up and blackmailed by Epstein. And I feel so bad for those women because they're they're not getting justice, man. And, and, you know, as much as it can affect us in our lives and the the politicians that they're, they're using or have used these girls, man, just so bad, really, really bad stuff. Anyway, that's more than a few sentences, but last one, uh, UFOs. Oh man. Well, that's an interesting one. Um, They're all interesting. Uh, you got some, this is great. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is cool, man. Um, I, you know, you look at things like area 51 and stuff, and there's so many variables here and so many ways that this could be played. You know, it could be, um, is the government making up the stories? You know, we talked about the X files before this, uh, before this recording, we talked about, uh, uh, Jose Chung's from outer space that episode that they wrote with, uh, uh Charles Nelson Riley, originally they were going to try to make it be Kolchak, but they couldn't get uh, the rights to do Kolchak. Um, so that, you know, that's a great example of, is it aliens or is it actually the United States government posing as aliens? And then it turns out in that episode, spoilers, everybody it's the United States government posing as aliens who get abducted by aliens, <laughs> right. which is just freaking great. It's so cool. You know, um, so I, I believe that I think the universe is so vast and technology is, I, I think, I think we probably have been visited by alien beings. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I knew a pilot, a guy, great guy whose father-in-law worked on Project Blue Book. And I've heard this so many times from people who are connected to government in some way. It's always like this. He said that he was at a party one time, Christmas party, and he went up to him. He's like, oh, you've been in Project Blue Book. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know. He says, well, you know, what can you tell me about that? He goes, well, I can't, I can't tell you. But I'll tell you this. Whatever you heard, believe it. And there's a lot more. So I, I kind of, you know, I, now then there's, then there's a question is, is it all demonic? Right. That is very intriguing to me. And I, I don't know. And that's sort of where I'm trying to take my, my fiction. I'm, I'm building a mosaic of Christianity from what many of my atheist friends might think is sort of a a materialist, multi-dimensional H.P. Lovecraft sort of, oh, it's it's alien stuff that you just don't understand. And so scary. It's like, well, stuff I don't understand, I don't look at as scary. That's curious to me. I'm fascinated by that. That's cool. You know, like there's got to be malevolence. And I know that there is malevolence. I know there is true evil, but I don't know. I don't know about the alien thing. What do you think?
0: i think that there could be like you said um multiple levels to this um yeah perhaps the you know that you have this vast universe um unlimited galaxies would be i mean really beyond our comprehension to understand how you know huge this is Mm. um and at the same time you have do you believe in evil do you believe that you know there would be entities posing as other entities perhaps you know, using uh, something that does exist in a way to fuel an agenda that is not quite real. I mean, y- you know, you ha- there's so so many things to unpack there. Man. You, the, the Twilight Zone episode of like to serve man, you know, where yeah. the catamites the or whatever they land and have that book. You know, it's a, it's a cookbook and yeah, you're going to teach man how to have unlimited resources and stop all wars. And, the, you don't know, you have abundance and it's all just to fatten them up so they can eat them. You have to think, um, you know, these advanced, advanced civilizations are, are, are they truly evil? Is there, is there some kind of evil there or are there other entities posing as them? I, I don't, I'm open to suggestions there, but I do not believe that, um, there is no such thing as the phenomenon. I don't think that they're all government crafts. I think that the crafts you're seeing on like Tucker Carlson and, you know, some that talking to, um, you know, the people that were part of the, What is, what, what project was that recently? The one where they, Oh yeah. The disclosure
1: uh, project.
0: Right. The disclosure project and and, uh, how they, how they had uh, the, the tic-tac videos. I I just, I think those are ours. I mean, I think those are, I think those are advanced, you know, Lockheed Martin skunk works type stuff that, that are above top secret and they're messing with, you know, regular military seeing what they can get away with. But I also think they probably could have been reverse engineered from actual downed, you know, craft going back to to forty seven. I mean, um fun trivia: the first time flying saucer was ever used and put into the popular vernacular was in uh, the late eighteen seventies, and that was Denison, Texas. There was a farmer in Denison, Texas, that said he saw what he believed it was a flying. He couldn't. He just described it as a flying saucer. You know, this round thing that was oh, flying, wow. played like a saucer, and that's. That's home of uh Dwight D. Eisenhower was born in Denison, Texas, and uh, so was my son. My son Houston was born oh. in Denison, Texas. So uh I the no. UFO lore and some of the old like going back into the history of like the Majestic Twelve and the Cold War and uh, that stuff's fascinating to me. I'm gonna do more stuff on it uh you know as we progress with Paratruther, but uh yeah, I don't know. And that's the thing I don't know. I don't know what uh, what it all means, but I don't think that there's nothing and I don't think it's all government. Um, No. And uh, and I'm not I'm not so for sure it's it's all demonic or maybe it's part of it. Um, But I do think I do think we're going to have more uh, of that in our our lives in the you know in the next 10 20 30 years you're going to have some of that going on there's going to be more normalcy to it whether that's good or bad i'm not sure exactly what it means or how real it will be uh but uh interesting times anyway
1: yeah i I, i'm i'm curious i always love getting those books you know about you know strange mysteries and stuff that's unexplained and I, and it is, it's fascinating to me. And that's one of the things that drew me to like, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast, listening to Graham Hancock. And then I wrote a, I actually wrote a novella called Wall, which is uh, a, a lot of crypto archeology and stuff like that, that are, that are included in there. And uh, um, Gobekli Tepe and, yeah. you know, stuff like that, you know. And um, uh, interestingly enough, one of the key guys on Go, Gobekli, Gobekli Tepe uh, was a professor at Keene State college here in new hampshire and he only retired a while back and he got all sorts of abuse when he was trying to show people like hey there's this ancient thing and it kind of would rewrite a lot of his like no no no, can't have that no 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 and the money python would be like too silly too silly Graham chapman would come up you know um but it is it's fascinating to me i and i think you know like you look at that disclosure project thing Uh, Recently, anything John Podesta is connected with. No, thank you, Skippy. No, thank you. Right. Uh, I'll I'll steer clear of that. Um, But uh, if you know, if I'm hearing it from friends and if I'm reading stories that come from history, just simple stuff. Yeah. You know, um, sounds pretty interesting to me. And I don't know what to make of it. Um, then I, I think to myself, what can I find in the Bible? You know, I, how do I how do I seek that stuff out? Do I talk to priests? Do I talk to people in the Orthodox Church? What do they think? You know, I don't know. It's a it's a totally open realm to me. It's it's a fascinating one that every once in a while I'll dip into that to just sort of escape the the, the aliens in Washington oh, DC. No I mean, when you, when, I'm, I'm
0: looking for the Draco's. why the lizard people run my reality, you know? So yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that is yeah. a good, that is a good point. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good escape. So I, I decided to end with it. Well, uh, guard my good friend, tell people where they can find you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Tony. Thanks man. Uh, yeah. So, um, everybody like, like, uh, like I mentioned, um, I'm. I've started up Liberty Conspiracy again. The LibertyConspiracy.com website is extant, but it hasn't been updated yet. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, many years ago, when he heard about uh, heard about my idea for Liberty Conspiracy, he actually started hosting it on his on his uh, server, and it's still there. Uh, he's been super cool about it, but we haven't we haven't done anything to change stuff uh, yet. So, um, making plans to. Uh, So currently, I should say, currently doing Liberty Conspiracy on BitChute, Odyssey, and Rumble, doing videos there. Uh, We've got the Liberty Conspiracy Facebook page. And that hasn't been shut down, which is wild. So I'm always posting stories over there. Uh, Then I've got the Gardner Goldsmith Substack uh, site, which is open right now. There's no payment that's asked for or anything like that. And Substack is going to start allowing people to do audios. And I just saw my first video on Substack. Um, that was pretty interesting. So uh, they're going to have a video hosting over there as well. So what I'm planning on doing is expanding Liberty Conspiracy, as Tony knows, to start doing a daily live video show and uh, live audio show. And Tony's got some very interesting ideas that are going to be coming around. It's going to be awesome. So we've got that. And then I'm going to start maybe putting Liberty Conspiracy back on YouTube but what I think I'm going to do is mostly concentrate on YouTube on the, a channel that I want to start called, as as I mentioned, former Star Trek fellow or former Star Trek writing fellow, and it's going to be about quality writing and novels, script writing, movies, things like that, and um, and then occasionally I'll I'll be able to sort of pepper it to sort of uh, promote Liberty Conspiracy on those other sites. I want to talk to Liberty Doll a little bit and a couple other folks to see what re- see how hard it is. Uh, I want to talk to Mike, um, Michael Bolden of the 10th Amendment Center uh, to see how hard it is for them to stay on YouTube, because if I can do politics on YouTube, it'd be great, Tony. But I, I just don't know. And so the fiction thing is definitely going to happen. I don't know about politics. What do you think about that? I just try. it.
0: I mean, the worst yeah. thing that
1: happens, you get banned. Yeah. And yeah. then archive it. Just make sure you back it up. Yeah. I'm worried, though, that if I do that, then the fiction thing will get shut down, too. Maybe. I don't know if I can do it uh they probably would find me if i tried to do under under two different uh two different I'm channels sure. and two different <laughs> that they, yeah. they
0: have a way uh, I yeah it, I've been band off there so yeah they have a way my friend but uh we'll figure it out you know i'm here to help anyway
1: yeah yeah oh you you are and, and folks listening in audio right now I'm telling you man this has been my lifeline and it's just been awesome tony you are you are truly awesome awesome just excellent well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, brother.
0: I had the same, Amen. I say the same thing about you. I look forward to doing more of these shows with you. Uh, Paratruther, ladies and gentlemen, the official podcast of the apocalypse, the Arterburn radio transmissions, the official broadcast. This is the official podcast of the apocalypse. And again, Arterburn.news. If you have any ideas for the show, if you want to have it, you know, you think I should have a certain guest on or, me to take on a topic with one of my one of my friends, like uh, one of my really smart friends. If you notice, I I find people that are smarter than me <laughs> between, between me, you, and the globe, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, News. You can find me there if you want to uh, send me a message. And of course, the show is always brought to you by Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange, just veteran-owned, family-owned precious metals shop. You can get in touch with us there at wisewolfgoldandsilver.com. and Of course, uh, prepare with art.com uh that's the nice landing page set up by my patriot supply because like guard and i were saying we don't know everything that's going to happen we just know get prepared some way get prepared for uncertainty get prepared for surprises uh you know so the the future uh is not set there is no fate but what we make but being prepared is a must so prepare with art.com and so we're going to call it a day i'll be back next week uh chris graves and myself uh, we're going to do Black Helicopters Over America. So be sure and share the podcast uh, with friends and family. Um, well, at least with friends and family that won't, uh, <laughs> that won't uh, turn you into the authorities for being crazy for listening to stuff like this. But we sure appreciate you. And remember, in the information war, be a paratroother. See you next time.